The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's reading is from uh, the New Testament, from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, by the way, if you don't know what the Gospel means, my last name is called Pear. In my language, it means the Gospel. Look at my, my Bible in my language this morning. It says the gospel according to prayer. Prayer according to the Bible. So, just a little history here. And uh, it's on page uh, 857. If you have the Bible in front of you, or if you don't, you can go uh, on the screen. And it's, it reads In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quin- when Quinerius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the holy and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all the things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen as it has been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May the Lord bless his holy word. Amen. So you're probably not used to hearing uh, this passage read at this time of year, right? Uh, That's sort of the Christmas passage you usually hear at the month of December. Uh, But 
obviously there's a couple reasons that we're covering it this week. One is we just started Luke and it's right at the beginning of Luke. Uh, The other is that I'm really excited by it. As I mentioned it last week is, have you ever like seen your, a room in your house with fresh eyes, like maybe you're getting ready to sell a house or you're cleaning out when friends are coming over or your mother-in-law and you're like really doing a good deep cleaning and you walk into the room and you see the room that you see every day. You see it, but you don't see it. But you walk in and you see it the way somebody new would walk in and see it. That's the way we really need to see this passage because most of us are pretty familiar with it, right? No matter whether you've grown up in church or been around church for a while, you probably have seen Charlie Brown Christmas Anybody seen it before? Come on. Anybody seen Charlie Brown Christmas? Everybody's seen it. Uh, this is the passage that Linus with the blanket gets up on the stage and uh, Charlie Brown's having this great crisis because of the commercialization of Christmas and Linus gets up with his blanket, the spotlight comes on him and he reads this passage and this passage, him reading it to Charlie Brown and Snoopy and everybody else in the gang, they hear him read or recite this passage from memory. It's a smart, cool kid, by the way. He reads and recites this passage from memory, and it has such an effect on Charlie and Snoopy and Peppermint Patty and everybody else that it changes everybody's thoughts about Christmas. And Charlie Brown leaves, and everybody follows him, and they end up singing a a chorus at the end of the show, right? And it ends happily ever after. So we've heard it before. But to us, like when we think about the Christmas story or the story of Jesus being born, it's sort of a sweet romantic story, right? Mary and Joseph... On a starry night, in a nice cozy stable. And they had the baby, and there's like some sort of magic starlight shining down from heaven upon them in the moment. And the, the animals that are in there with them are all quiet. There's no smell of feces floating through the air. There's no smell of donkey urine about them. It's a beautiful, I, I don't know if anybody has seen a birth happen in here before. I saw my daughter born, and it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but it's not necessarily beautiful the way that the manger scenes have it as beautiful. We have a picture of what that was like. It's sort of a romantic picture. But that's not really the way that it felt at the time nor the way it sounded to the people who heard the story. The people of Israel were waiting. They were waiting for a king to come. Jesus was the king who was coming. He was the Messiah to be born. They were waiting for that, but they weren't waiting the way that we look back and think of them waiting. They were waiting for a king to come and free them from oppression. They had many prophecies like the one from Daniel in chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's what the Israelites were waiting on. And to see you and me, it doesn't hit us with the same weight that it would be for them because if you live in a kingdom at this time in the world, your lot in life was directly tied to how powerful and great your ruler was. 
because you were a servant of the king. And if you served a great, powerful, rich king, then great power and riches could flow down to you. But if you served a weak king, then your future was always up in the air because a more powerful king could come and defeat your king and then take over your territory. And that king could be a good king or he could be a tyrant and you were under his rule no matter what. And they were waiting for a king to come with dominion and glory and a power that all nations and peoples and languages would serve him and his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. It would bring stability to Israel. It would bring stability to them. It would bring riches and power to them. And if you and I were waiting for that kingdom, a powerful kingdom that would come and obliterate all that is wrong in our society and heal everything that is twisted and diseased, we would be poorly, poorly disappointed if we heard that the news of the coming king had come to an unmarried peasant girl and her husband, or who had been unmarried whenever he was conceived, and he was born either in a barn or outside in a stable yard, alone and forgotten and messy and dirty and smelly. That would not have been the good news that we were waiting for. So the question that we have to ask is, why would it happen this way? Why? Why would the kingdom, the dawn of a new kingdom, the one that Jesus, the one that God had been promising for years and years and generations and generations that the Israelites had been waiting on, why would it come this way? Why would it come to these people? Why would it come at this time? We covered it last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, a very important person. Zechariah was a priest. They were both of the lineage of Aaron. But if you did not have a child, and particularly a son, or any children at all, then you were considered to be cursed by God. Something must be wrong. Either you have sinned or your parents have sinned. There's some sort of sin in your house, in your household, that is keeping you from being blessed by God to have a child, and particularly to have a son. And Zechariah, though he's a priest, he's a country priest, he's a country preacher out in the middle of nowhere with his wife Elizabeth, and they're probably in the village around them and the uh, community of priests. People are wondering, whispering behind their backs, I wonder what Zechariah or Elizabeth or their parents did that would cause this, them to be cursed like this. He was a priest, but he wasn't like Matt Chandler kind of pastor well-known. He was a forgotten country priest out in the middle of nowhere. He didn't have a podcast that was listened to by a lot of people, I can guarantee you that. Joseph and Mary, Joseph was a peasant carpenter in a small Hobunk village of Nazareth, and Mary was a peasant girl who had, a peasant girl in this time, particularly in this area of the world, a forgotten no, no man's land of the world, would have no prospect or no promise. She would have nothing to look forward to except get married and have kids, hopefully, and hopefully be able to bear a son for a husband. That is about it. Because a woman at this time was considered chattel. And then the other 
cast of characters that jump in in our passage this morning are the shepherds, and we're going to hear about them. They were not very highly respected or looked at. They were poor. They had a bad reputation, usually earned. They were always ceremonially unclean. So they never participated in Jewish life and there's the religious Jewish life. So that means they were ostracized. So why, if this story is true, why would it happen this way to these people to this time? And then by the way, if it's not true, why would somebody make this up? Because to the Jewish minds, or even the Gentiles to who Luke is writing at this time, this would not be a cool romantic story like we hear it now because we've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas show. We know that if you hear this story in a beautiful bucolic reading, then Christmas is going to have a great deep meaning for you. It's going to change things. But they didn't hear it that way. It would have been madness to them. It would have been foolishness. It would have been silly, crazy talk. And it would have been, and if they, they would have thought that if that is true, then I am very disappointed in this long promise that came from God. It sounds romantic to us because we're now acquainted with the story, but to the original audience, it would have been a terrible news. Today marks 15 years since 9-11. Most of us in here looking around, uh, most of us remember, a couple of you are a little bit younger, maybe you don't quite remember, but most of us in here remember that day Remember that moment that we heard about it? I can picture it right now. I can feel the feelings that were going through me. You can picture that. This is, this is, this was what hit me uh, over the weekend when I was thinking about this being the 15-year anniversary of 9-11 is my children will not remember that. They weren't alive at the time. They will have, whenever Megan and I and us in here, when we talk about 9-11 and what happened that day and the feelings that we had following it, we won't, we won't, They won't even have any clue what the world looked like at the time. But this is what hit me more than just the fact that they wouldn't remember the event is that they won't remember what it was like before 9-11. Things have changed since then, right? Life feels different ever since then. Life feels a little bit scarier, a little bit more up in the air, a little less sure Think of all that's happened since then. Heck, think of all that has happened in the past three to six months in our country. When I think about that, the thing that happens in me, and I wonder if it happens in you, and you're probably thinking about it during election year, is don't you just long for somebody to come and make this right? Don't you want somebody to come who can just figure it out and make everything Go, not just go back to the way things were, but to be right. To take away the fear and the uncertainty, whether it's economic or uh, terrorism or whatever the case may be. Don't you wish somebody could come and would just have the magic silver bullet answer, silver bullet answer that would make things right again? That's what they were longing for. And the truth is, That's what we all long for. We all long for somebody to come, a great, strong, wise, just ruler to come and figure everything out and make things the way they're supposed to be. And that is ironically 
exactly what is happening in this passage. After the shepherds hear this news and they leave the next morning when the sun rises, when the sun rises on what we call Christmas morning, when the sun rises the next morning, when it rises on that refugee family in that messy, bloody hay, when it rises on that lonely child lying in a feeding trough for animals, when it rises on this family in obscurity in an obscure part of the country, in an obscure part of the world, when it rises upon them, it is marking the dawning of a new kingdom. A new kingdom. But this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus could have been born to well-to-do people. He could have been born to well-connected people. He could have been born to important people. He could have been born to the religiously respected people. The birth could have been announced to the religious leaders. He could have been announced to the political leaders. I mean, God made a, a host, which means an army of angels appear to a group of shepherds. He could have announced it to Caesar and to King Herod and to every leader across the world. He could have announced in such a way that every single person on the earth at the time would have seen and heard this announcement. He could have, but he didn't. So there are some crazy cool implications for why the kingdom is being is dawning to this group of people at this time in such an unlikely way there's three implications we're going to look at the kingdom brings deliverance to the oppressed the new kingdom brings hope for the outcast and the new kingdom brings peace to the sinner the new kingdom brings deliverance to the oppressed. It brings hope for the outcast. And it brings peace to the sinner. How does the new kingdom bring deliverance to the oppressed? Look at it if you have your Bible, or if you're not, you can pull up uh, the one underneath your chair. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, this is that prophecy of Zechariah that we were talking about. And his father, that's John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord. That's the first thing he says after he can't talk for nine or ten months. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn. That would be a, a symbol of might or strength. Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of all. Hear this, verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve what? Without fear. He said, first of all, in verse 75, the next verse, in holiness, that we may serve without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him 
all of our days. This is a picture that light is coming to darkness, which it says later on, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is Zechariah excited about? What is he prophesying about? His son is going to be born. The Messiah is coming. The thing that he's, that he's prophesying about is that light is coming to darkness. Do you ever feel like you're stuck in darkness? Do you ever feel like you're just kind of groping around trying to figure out life? Some of us look really confident on the outside. Some of us don't look so confident. But regardless of your state, how you look from the outside, how people view you, how well your life seems to be going or how poorly your life seems to be going, all of us have moments or days or years where we feel, if we're honest with the people around us, we feel that we're just groping around in darkness trying to figure out life. Don't you wish that someone would come and just show you the way in life? Don't you wish somebody would come and show you, what should I do with my career? What should I do with my marriage? What should I do with my kids? What should I do with my life in general? Don't you wish that some light would come to darkness? If you're honest, don't you feel like you're groping around in darkness? Zechariah was excited and is prophesying because this Messiah, this king that is coming, this new kingdom means a dawning of light that's coming to darkness. Look in verse 79 again. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is really the great fear that we all labor under. Sickness, what do you fear? What are you fearing right now? I don't know what's going on in your life. Sickness, disease, disaster, loss, a sense. Some of us just have a sense of impending doom. We don't even know how to label it or what to name to put on, but we have a sense of impending doom. Do you know why we all feel those things? Do you know why we all live in some measure of fear at times? Because what we're truly afraid of is death. Don't you sometimes feel trapped by life? Like life is, can be really great. Right? I mean, there are times and moments and seasons that life is full of joy and it's amazing. But don't, at times, don't you just feel like when you feel life pressing in upon you, you feel hemmed in, you feel trapped by life. What you really feel trapped by is an impending sense of death, a sense of your own mortality, a sense that things could be over at any given time, a sense that you and I are not in ultimate control. That anything could end. The Israelites were waiting for a king to come save them from their earthly enemies. They thought he was coming to save them from Rome. What they had no idea, and what you and I often miss, is that he was coming to deliver them, and he's coming to deliver us. He came to deliver us from our greatest enemy. Zechariah said that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, that we would be delivered from them, that he would bring light to us who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. 
Jesus came to conquer our greatest enemy, and that's why he came this way, because it's the only way that he could deliver us from death. The only way that he could deliver us from death was to face it himself. The only way that he could deliver you and I from death is to conquer death, not by conquest, but by sacrifice. He would come and face death for us in our stead so that we would not face it, so that we could live life at peace from our enemies because we had been delivered from the oppression of death itself. That's why the new kingdom that was dawning had to be an upside down kingdom because he wouldn't come and conquer things and rule forever from the throne. He would come and in sacrifice and humility take death that we deserved and therefore conquer it for us. And this upside down kingdom, the only way up is down. And our king led the way there. And he started here in this inauspicious way. The new kingdom brings deliverance to the oppressed. The new kingdom brings hope for the outcast. Look at verse three of chapter two and they, that's Mary and Joseph, went to be registered, uh, that, sorry, and they all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, verse four, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a, the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, or clothes, and laid him in a manger, because... There was no room for them in the inn. I mean, that's a beautiful passage that we're familiar with, but do you feel and hear the poverty and the obscurity and the rejection that is here? Mary is getting ready to be, to give birth. And for some reason she's traveling, she, from what we know, there's probably no reason that she had to travel with Joseph. But she is traveling with Joseph. Now, this is filling in the lines. We don't know exactly why, but it's very possible. and It's very likely because, remember, she was conceived Jesus whenever she was supposedly a virgin. And if you did that, you were an outcast in your society. You brought shame upon yourself and upon your family, which in that society, in a familial society, was the worst thing you could do to bring shame upon them. So nobody, she'd have like a scarlet S on her chest and nobody would want anything to do with her. So I think it's interesting that Mary, who's getting ready to give birth, doesn't stay home. She travels with Joseph, probably risking the chance that she could give birth along the way or on the trip. I think it's because very possibly she had nobody back home who would care for her. They travel alone. Her mother's not with her. I don't know what's going on. Her mother's not with her. No sister, no friend palling along with them. They're left alone. They're in poverty. When they come to Bethlehem and they can't find a room, they don't have anything else to do but to either be, either whether it's outside in the open or in a cave, they have to find a place for the animals. They knew poverty, they knew obscurity, they knew rejection. 
And it's interesting that before Jesus comes, that those who lived in poverty had no hope for anything else. There was no hope to be, if you were born poor, you were going to die poor. There was very little chance for anything else to happen in your life. And to those who live in poverty, the most difficult thing to live with is not just the lack of funds, it's the lack of hope. It's that feeling of hopelessness and helplessness that you live with. You may be in here, you may be poor, and you may feel poor. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they will be comforted. The fact that Joseph and Mary came in poverty to Bethlehem and they gave birth to Jesus alone in poverty is your surety that Jesus knows what it's like. You might not have any money in your pocket or your bank account or you just might feel poor in general. Like you don't have anything in life. You don't bring anything to the table in life. I may have money in the bank account, but I don't, I'm poor in that fact that I, I don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing I bring that helps the people around me. People don't know or don't care about me. There's nothing I bring to the table. And the American society, which is a meritocracy, if you don't bring something to the table to show your worth and value in business, then you don't bring anything to the table in life. Our value is tied directly to what, value you bring to the bottom line of whatever business that you're a part of. But that's not what the new kingdom of heaven looks like. It's a kingdom for those who are poor. Poor in wallet and poor in spirit. It comes to those who are in obscurity. At this moment, there might not be anybody in the world who is more ostracized, more marginalized than Joseph and Mary. She probably had a scarlet S on her chest. They are alone giving birth. Can you imagine what it would be like for a young girl giving birth for the first time in a cave? Or we think it may have possibly even been out in the open with angels and Hay and dirt and smell and urine and cow patties all around. Can you imagine the fear that she must have felt, that Joseph must have felt? There's probably no one who is more obscure in the world at this moment than Mary and Joseph. We look back and we see, oh, this is a great thing, but they were in complete obscurity at the time. Nobody knew about them or cared about them. Maybe he did. But we have no record that even the innkeeper or anybody inside came out and checked on them. I don't know. Either way, nobody gave up their room that night for them. They were like the people you might pass by, sleeping on the sidewalk, forgotten and alone in obscurity. Jesus knew what that was like. That's the air that he breathed. That's what he lived in. That's how he grew up. They were rejected. It's interesting that it's the decree of the leader, whether it's Caesar Augustus or the governor Quirinius or whoever declared that, uh, directly declared that this census was to happen. It's that 
command, that declaration that causes them to go to Bethlehem, and it's probably, and this is, I've been reading the commentaries, it's probably the marginalization, the rejection of the people in the small village of Nazareth that caused Mary to go as well. Rejected. Mary is unclean. She is a unwed mother. And Joseph is either, depending on this, the people in the village, the way they would see it is Jesus, Joseph is either unwise and continuing to marry her, or he's guilty himself. He kind of almost professes his guilt by marrying her. They were rejected. Jesus would know poverty. He would know obscurity, and he would know rejection. In fact, he would know ultimate rejection. He would live poor. He would live for most of his life in obscurity. He became famous or well-known in their area at age 30 and was famous for about three years and then the people turned on him and killed him. But he spent most of his life living in Nazareth as a carpenter. He would get splinters in his hand, came home at night with dirty hands and dirty fingers, dirt under his nails, sore back, tired, That's what Jesus loved most of his life in obscurity. And then at the end, for three years, he is well-known. He ministers. He, everybody says he goes around doing good. He heals people. He raises the dead. He takes care of people. He brings those who have been ostracized and marginalized back to society. And yet at the end, society turns on him and he's rejected hung on a cross, sacrificed by his own people. The new kingdom that was dawning was an upside-down kingdom that came to bring hope for the outcast because not only would he know what it was like to be rejected, to be poor, to live in obscurity, he would bear it himself. He bore your poverty He bore your obscurity. He bore your rejection. His own family ends up rejecting him. The new kingdom brings deliverance to the oppressed. It brings hope for the outcast. And then the new kingdom brings peace to the sinners. Peace to the sinner. The shepherds who are out here in the field watching over their flocks by night It's a beautiful picture of the nice little fluffy sheep around in the starlight, right? But I don't know if you've ever been around sheep or animals. I grew up in the country. Animals stink. And sheep in particular are nasty, stinky things. And these shepherds, because they dealt with the sheep and they were, the way that their lifestyle meant that they were always ceremonially unclean in the Jewish religious system. That meant they could not participate in any religious ceremonies in Israel, which meant that they were ostracized or outside of good society in Israel. Shepherds were considered physically and spiritually dirty, both inside and outside. They were always physically dirty, and they were considered spiritually dirty. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt dirty? Not just on the outside, but like inside. 
Like the things that you've done, the things that you've seen, the things that have been done to you, you feel like you're a sullied, messed up person, forgotten by society, left to the side. Some of you, I know some of your stories, and some of you I know a little bit, and some I don't know at all, and almost every person in this room has experienced great pain and tragedy. You've done things that you are embarrassed of. You've experienced things that you're not proud of. Some of you have been abused in such a way that you feel it's wrong, but you feel like you've been dirtied by the actions of somebody else and you're no good for society. You're a messed up person because of that. He appeared. He sent his angels to appear to the most dirty or the dirtiest most marginalized members of the Israelite society that he possibly could and it was no accident he purposely sent the angel to them to declare the good news have you ever felt dirty then the good news is for you the shepherds, not only were they considered physically and spiritually dirty, but the shepherds had a, an earned reputation in society. They were considered thieves and, and robbers because they, in many times, they were. They were untrustworthy. When you saw a shepherd pass by, you locked the doors. When you passed by a shepherd on the road, you locked the doors to your camel. You did not want to see them around. When they passed through your village, it was the undesirables coming through town. When you passed through where they were, you were going through the bad section of town. You are on the wrong side of the tracks, kind of around where I came from. They had earned that reputation. Not all of them, but they had earned it by and large as a group. They had done a lot of bad things. Do you have a reputation? Either with yourself the people around you, your family, friends? Has your name been sullied? If so, then the good news is for you. It's good news because the problem, that the good, it's good news that he's declaring to the, to the shepherds. The angel appeared to them, verse 10 of chapter 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For, for this is why I bring you good news. This is why it's great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. We read that and we think of a heavenly choir. It was a heavenly army. A host is an army. So an army of angels, which by the way would cause you to, like, you would, you would lose it if you stood before them. You would be barfing. You would be losing control of your body. You'd be falling down on the face. It would be the scariest thing you've seen. Multiply it by 10 is an army of angels appearing before you in the middle of the night and in the middle of a dark field. And they began praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's good news to them because the great problem with the, with the shepherds, the great problem with you, and the great problem is me, is not that you consider your dirty, yourself dirty. The great problem is not that the people around you consider you dirty. The great problem with you is me is not because we have a bad reputation with other people or a bad reputation with our, we think poorly of ourselves. The great problem is that there isn't peace between us and God by nature. By nature, we, there is enmity. There is uh, animosity between us and God. There is wrath between us and God and both sides, frankly, and frankly deserved from God's side to us, though not deserved from us to God because he has done nothing but give us the rain that waters our plants and gives us the sun that keeps us warm. He has done nothing except give us joy when we give birth to a child and joy when we gather with family around good food, when we sit down to eat fried chicken above all things and all life is good at that moment. He has been nothing but good to us and giving us all the good things and yet we have animosity and enmity against him and because of that there is a great chasm between us and God. There is a great wrath that rests upon us from God. There is a great distance between us. There is enmity, animosity, and wrath between us and God. That is the nature of the problem. It is the, that separation, it is that enmity that is the source of all of our problems. The things that we do, and humans can treat each other very poorly, can't we? The, thing, we, the things that we do, not just like, like, we think about terrorism as a terrible thing. Think about the things that we do in our family, Think about the things that you've said about your, or to your husband or wife or to your kids or to your brother or sister or parent, to your neighbor. Things that, think of the things that have been done to you and that you have done to other people. Humankind is astounding with the things that we can do. The source of all that problem is our fear of death, our poverty and our rejection, our wronging of each other is all based upon the enmity that exists between us and God. And so the angels come to the worst of the worst and announce the best of the best news that has come through a child of an unmarried woman, a cousin of a country preacher who may or may not have been discredited in his own family, in his own profession. The angels are saying that God will bring peace. He will bring Peace, which is what we are longing for, he will bring peace for men on whom his favor rests. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That wording there is not the wording saying that he's pleased with you, like, hey, you actually have done a really good job at saying you guys are shepherds, you are the worst of the worst. You have earned a reputation and you are constantly dirty. But here's the good news to you. God has placed his favor and his love upon you. He hasn't seen something earned and awesome from you. He has placed his favor and his grace and his love upon you. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of how you've done it, regardless of whether you've been sorry before it, for it until now, at this moment, he is placing his favor and his grace upon you. And he's doing it because he's sending you a savior who would save you from the wrath of God and save you from yourself. God has done it. And that's why it's great joy. That's why it's good news of great joy for all people. If it's something that you and I could earn or had earned, it wouldn't be great, joy, great news. It wouldn't be a thing of great joy. We would have earned it. It's great news and it's of great joy because we could not, did not, will never earn it. He earned it 
This baby born into poverty and obscurity earned it for us. This morning, would you respond like the shepherds? Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. A commentary I read said it's hard to put into English the type of haste that is pictured there in this word. They said, hurry on, guys, let's go. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered Mary treasured up these things in her heart. In verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Isn't that amazingly good news? This morning, if you have never responded to that news like the shepherds, would this be your morning? Would you bow your knee and worship that baby who came in obscurity and poverty to bear your obscurity and poverty? And if you are a believer, would you again stand in wonder and glorify and praise God for all that we have heard and seen as it has been told to us? Will you wonder and worship? Will you bow before him? I pray we would. I'm going to pray. We're going to pause for a moment just to pray in your own heart, wonder in your own heart, worship in your own heart, and then Jonathan's going to come up and lead us in communion to celebrate what the one who came in obscurity and poverty and bore it for us and brings peace to us sinners who deserved it not and wonder as we take the body and the blood for us. Father, you said that you're coming again and that you will wipe away every tear from every eye and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And you will say, behold, I am making all things new. That is the new kingdom that you are making. You inaugurated with the coming of your son, God, help us to hear afresh again this morning the good news. Let us wonder at it. Let us bow our knees to the great Lord who has loved us and gave himself for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.